Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. indicated uh, the Advent season comprises four weeks before Christmas. It's an age-old tradition, as you mentioned, dating back to about the 400s. And, and this time of year is extremely interesting. As we kind of already prayed for and talked about, it is a, it is a mixed bag of emotions. There is joyous celebration. There's, there's bells and there's gifts. There's eggnog lattes for those of you who like eggnog, that's, that's up to you. Um, don't, don't feel too strongly about it. But, uh, and there's these Christmassy things that are warm and they're comforting and they, they are a wonderful thing to experience and to share together. But as wonderful as these comforts are, our shared experience is, is quite limited in its power to truly console. And we look for consolation during this time of year because it has been, in reality, another tough year. Uh, I, I, saw, I saw a tweet that we, like, we were thinking about the pandemic as like the, the show community. It's like five seasons in a movie, but we got Grey's Anatomy where it's like 14 seasons and you don't know when they're really going to stop. Um, it just kind of came and came and it continues to come and we're not really sure where it's going to end. And even that in of itself is extremely exhausting. So I would say, yes, we are talking about the consolation of Israel, but we, there is the consolation of There's the consolation for you and I that we so desperately need to be consoled by something greater than what the world can provide. To find rest and comfort in something greater than simply the traditions or the rituals of the season, but in the person that we are looking towards, the one who came, the one to come. So this unimaginable promise of the consolation of Israel, the Messiah, the creator of time and space, entering creation itself to rescue and to save This is the truth that we're leaning into. So we're going to read this morning out of Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. You can follow along, big screen in the sky and behind. We're going to be reading on the NIV this morning as we begin. It says this, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just pray that our eyes would be opened, our ears would hear the story of your consolation this morning. That you came not simply to be, but to be with us. 
to give the comfort that we crave and that we need to be with us in the midst of our joys and in of our strife. May we have open hearts this morning to see the hope that you give. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So for many of you, you probably have heard this story to some degree this, uh, that we just read. Uh, Abraham gets called out of his tent. He looks to the stars and he sees the vast multitude of stars and he, he is amazed and overwhelmed and he's given this promise. But what's a promise? A promise is its a ability to create some kind of connection with someone. It's to set an intention. And I would say a promise is to give hope. I think we all need promises at some point. And even when we're building relationships with people, I think you're going to find that to give a promise is a point of connection. And to keep a promise is even more so. A promise is a spark of intention. And I wouldn't say just action. I I specifically do say intention because a promise does not always lead to a response that is so visibly active. A promise begins to set something within us often that we simply need to hold on to. When I, when I proposed to my wife, that was a promise that was given. And there was an action. I emptied my bank account to buy a ring. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of money. Let's not overwhelm it. <laughs> I'm a pastor this year. Uh, <laughs> But, but there, there, there's something to a promise. There, there's there's a, a joining of, of two, two people in the midst of that promise. There's a commitment that is more than thought, perhaps, but it's hopefully one that is, that is spirit, is relationship, and it draws us closer together. And this is what's taking place in this moment where God is saying, you in the midst of your struggle, I want you to know I'm with you. Let me give to you this promise. And Abraham, he needed this promise. Because as the story would go, he would go on through his life and there would be no heir despite the promise that was given. And he would approach the age past 100. Sarah would also get to an elderly age and they would think to themselves, this promise is most likely not going to take place. A fair judgment based upon their predicament. But the experience of the promise did not leave Abraham. The way way that the Bible talks about that promise, that it set something within him that he held on to despite perhaps the unreasonable nature that his life had taken regardless of the promise that was given. And this wasn't just a promise of lineage to come. I think it was as the word Advent communicates. It means to come which is the responsibility of God. And therefore, we're left with this. If, if the promise is God's responsibility, if to come is God's responsibility, then what lies with us? To wait. And waiting is extremely difficult 
in our culture. And it is extremely difficult for me personally. <laughs> I think we're all in this together when we can say, we don't really love the idea of waiting. If you're having to wait in line, I don't know if you've ever done this before. Like you go to a, a store and you look to purchase something. And you find what you're looking to purchase and you see the lineup to buy it and you put it down and you walk out. Nobody wants to wait in the line. But there are moments where waiting, I would say, actually can produce something incredibly beautiful. Over the course of the past couple of years, we've had many people within our church community get married. And I've had the opportunity to, to walk with them and ask questions about how they want to do things. And for some, they've made the decision that they don't want to see each other till the bride is coming down the aisle. And that moment of waiting is so beautiful and spectacular. That, And I'm only saying this because this is the part I get to witness. My eyes are most definitely on the bride in the distance, but when she crosses that corner, I'm looking at the groom. Because what, what does the waiting produce in that moment? An un, almost an unbridled emotional response of, of joy. They're, they're overwhelmed. So maybe our, our thought process of waiting is actually to push it away, but there are incidents where waiting can produce incredible joy. It can be more than we think that it is. It's not a really popular attitude, and it's not something that people really lean into in general. Uh, most people would consider waiting to be an incredible waste of time. <laughs> Perhaps this is because in our culture we say, Get going. Do something. Show you're able to make a difference. Don't just sit there and wait. And for many people, waiting is this awful desert between where they are and where they want to go. Waiting is this desert between where they are and where they want to go. And people don't like to be in such a place. And they want to get out of it by doing something. And in our particular historical situation, waiting is even more difficult because we are so fearful. One of the most pervasive emotions in the atmosphere around us is fear. People are afraid, afraid of inner feelings, afraid of other people, and afraid of the future. Fearful people have a hard time waiting. Would you not agree? That when you're afraid, waiting becomes even more difficult. We're afraid and we want to get away from where we are. We want to control the situation. And, and, and instead of actually staying in the situation, we want to flee from it. And if fleeing is not a possibility, we're going to fight against it. And if we take a broader perspective, this isn't just individuals. This is communities. This is nations. This is all that we are as a whole, that we're impatient people. But often our impatience is a response to fear. And we've normalized an impatient response and we've characterized it as being efficiency. We've characterized it as being a go-getter. We've characterized it as being intentional. When in reality, if your decision-making is, decision is driven by fear, you are choosing impatience rather than the call of God to wait. We're in a season of waiting, but the constant call of the Bible, even if you look throughout the Psalms, is to wait upon the Lord. To wait upon his goodness. To wait upon what he has for us. 
And yet, we lean into the impatience that our fear would compel us towards. Now, there's a balance. Because the question is not, will I be patient or impatient? The question is, will I rest in God or will I be driven by my fear? Because patience and impatience can both be driven by fear. It can look like patience and actually manifest as as apathy or, or fearful staying away from whatever God has. So that's, that's the question I want to present to you this morning. Why do you wait? Sure, Advent is about waiting, but why are you choosing to wait? Are you waiting because mom and dad, well, they're, you're afraid that they're going to be upset with you because you're not participating in the Advent season? <laughs> not a good reason to wait. Are you waiting because you are afraid of stepping outside of your comfort zone? Are you waiting because you feel as if you are going to fall short? Or can we flip the script and can we wait from a different foundation? The foundation that Abraham found in his story. The foundation that Paul talks about in Romans 4. That it says that Abraham was credited with righteousness. And what does righteousness mean? It's to be in right relationship with God. It's not not to achieve perfection. It's not to discover incredible holiness. It's that we have been credited with righteousness according to Jesus. And so we have been made to have right relationship with God. And so Abraham, before Jesus is in the picture, is credited with righteousness. So what is the foundation for Abraham that he would be credited as such? It's because he learned how to wait. Now, don't get me wrong. Abraham did some incredibly impatient things over the course of his life that were incredibly wrong. But it is the grace of God that continued to pursue him and planting what Waiting was meant to do in his life over and over and over again. So what is the nature of waiting? In Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham and he promised to him, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And God fulfills this promise by bringing the nation of Israel out of Abraham. And through the nation of Israel, God continued to give promises about this special individual who would bring blessings all people on earth, the consolation of Israel who would be coming through the person of Jesus. And in the story of Abraham, in the trajectory of Israel, I think we see some different things in regards to waiting. And first of all, waiting is holding on to a sense of promise. I think it's the first thing we can see about waiting. Waiting is holding on to a sense of promise. And for many, and myself included, I think we have lost sight of the promises that are attributed and given to us in the midst of this last season. 
I would actually contend that the greatest detriment to the promises of God for your life is not failure, it is apathy. It is falling into the rhythm that my life is just fine where it is. It is is saying to yourself that I am just content with being fine. But that is not the promise that God has for us. His desire for each and every one of us is that we would flourish. And so where has apathy taken your intention in this last season? And apathy does not mean that you're not working hard. Apathy is, means that you're not looking forward. You can be working very hard and living a life of apathy. Believing that your current place is good enough exactly where it is. I'm not saying to be discontent, but we are called to desire the things of God and hold on to the promise. Why give it a promise if we're not supposed to hold on to it? Waiting needs us to hold on to a sense of promise. Abraham, he lived with a promise, and this promise, it nurtured him. It fed him, and it made him able to stay where he was. And in this way, the promise itself, it could grow in him and, and, and through him. And for centuries to come, the prophets and, and the words that they spoke, they were about this promise that was coming through Jesus. And it's the same for us today. We all go through periods of waiting in our lives. We need hope to get us through the waiting. Because this is what a promise that is true actually does. It begins to plant seeds of hope in our hearts. Waiting is never easy. And whatever you're waiting for today, I want you to know that there is hope in Christ. This is the Advent season. That we find hope in the one that came and the one that is to come. And whether you're waiting for God's direction or a job offer or or a perfect situation to play out in a relationship, whatever you're waiting for this morning, there is hope in Christ. And the candle of hope that's dwindling away reminds us that hope in Christ will get us through our waiting. Do you know God's promises for you? I think one of the gifts of the Advent season is to pause and reflect and consider what are God's promises for me. Just a little reminder, a little refresher. Who does God think I am? You have gone many, many days, weeks, months with everyone else inputting into your life who they think you are. And you go every moment of every day battling the thoughts in our mind saying, what our mind can go, where our mind can go as to what, where we are and who we are. This is why we need to discover the promises of God. Who does God think you are? You need to declare that over your life. Because Christ, he comes to console and to comfort. And he wants you to discover that comfort right here, right now. Come to me, all who are tired and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Second thing, waiting is active, it's not passive. Most of us can think of waiting to be very passive, a hopeless state determined by events totally out of our hands. Uh, The bus is late, therefore uh, I can't do anything about it, so I'm going to just sit here and just wait. It's not difficult to understand the irritation that sometimes people feel when somebody says, just wait. 
Words like that seem to push us into a place of passivity. But there's none of this passivity in Scripture. Those who are waiting are waiting with an active posture. They, They know what they're waiting for, and they're growing into it from the ground on which they're standing. And that the secret of waiting is the faith that the seed has been planted and that something has begun. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. Allow me to read it to you. It says this. It says, It is in the rooms, not the hall, that are fires and chairs and meals. The hall is a place to wait in, a place from which to try the various doors, not a place to live in. For that purpose, the worst of the rooms is, I think, preferable. It's true that some people may find they have to wait in the hall for a considerable time, while others feel certain almost at once which door they must knock at. I don't know why there is a difference, but I'm sure God keeps no one waiting unless he sees that it's good for him to wait. When you do get into the room, you're going to find that the long wait has done some kind of good which you would have not had otherwise, but you must regard it as waiting not as camping. And that's the third thing. Waiting is required preparation. For, for, all, for all the students in the room or for all of us who've gone to, through some schooling at some point, it is required reading. That you, you're going to show up for this next season and there's going to be a time in which an opportunity has come before you and you're going to ask yourself, did I use my waiting as a season to be in apathy or distaste for what it might feel like or was it the required reading that I stepped into to prepare for the moment that God has for me? Waiting is the space in which joy is not hinged on results. Waiting is the space in which joy is not hinged on results. Far too often, the way that we have been set up, the way that we have been influenced by culture would communicate that your joy should only be present, your happiness should only be present when accomplishment is found. But to wait on the Lord is the invitation and through the vision of society that is not success that is not efficiency that is not accomplishment but yet that is where joy is found if the joy of the lord is our strength and we're asked to wait upon the lord then waiting should lead us to a place of joy and waiting can be a very difficult place to lean into but when we do And we understand that it is required preparation. There is going to be a joy that is found in it that prevents the season to come to be the source of our joy. If Jesus is the joy in our waiting, Jesus is going to be the joy in our success. It is a protection from our souls, for our souls, from ourselves that our success would not be more than our success, that our victory would not be more than our victory, and that our God would always continue to be our God. It is hope in Christ that helps us go the distance in life. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, 
For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Waiting is fueled by hope. Romans 5 says, hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given. The story of Abraham, where he's given this promise at the beginning and he's led into this season of waiting, it causes us to ask the question, what is taking place in the waiting? And it's almost like this between the lines. Where where has his heart gone? We see his actions lead to impatience. We see his actions be sometimes patient. But this is what Paul writes about the story of Abraham in Romans chapter 4 verses 18 to 20. Remember, it's said at the end of our passage that Abram, it was credited credited to him as righteousness. And this is what Paul writes in Romans 4. He says, against all hope, this is in verse 18... Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Hope was why it was credited to him as righteousness. To trust in the promises of God, to connect in that relationship, to have hope in that covenant that was made, was that which was credited to him as righteousness. And righteousness, like I said, is to be in right relationship with God. And this is the consolation of Israel. This is Jesus come to us. So that you and I might be in right relationship with God. That you and I would have a relationship of truth and grace and intimacy. That is not just a nice idea but transforms us from the inside out. And it begins with holding on to the hope that is freely given to each and every one of us. The story of righteousness being credited to Abraham is a story of righteousness that is credited to us, to you and I, when we hold on to the hope that we find in Jesus. The promise of salvation when we put our trust in a good and and trustworthy God. When we see the story of Jesus unfold and the gift of salvation given, that's a promise. When we see the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount outline what it is to mean to be a, pro- a follower of Jesus, that is a promise of what a life can look like, of what a life can be transformed into when it begins to place our hope in Christ. That is to be then credited as righteousness, to be put into right relationship with God. I hope you sense my excitement. There, there's nothing better than to be in right relationship with God. Who are you and I? To be in right relationship 
with this perfect God. And yet, there is no grand articulation of what we need to do in perfection in order to be in relationship. It is simply, I've given you a promise. Would you hold on to it? Would that be your hope? And when that is your hope, all good things flow from that hope. Because when I fall short, I turn back to that good God and I repent. Knowing that the hope that I find in Jesus redeems me and restores me. When I find success and I find joy in this world, I turn back to the one that gave me hope. And I have gratitude in my heart knowing that all good things come from him. When I feel suffering and brokenness all around me, I turn back to Jesus and I say, would you bring the consolation, the grace and the comfort that I so desperately need and give me the strength and give me the wisdom to be that in the world as you would desire because that is my hope. Do not let hope just be a nice idea. Do not let hope just be a word of the Christmas season that you see associated with a really nice looking poster. Let hope be your foundation so that right relationship with God, righteousness with God might burst out of you. This is a truth for you that is meant to be worked through you. The selfishness of this world would have you believe that the hope that is to be found is to make you feel better. But the generosity of Christ, the generosity of God is that the hope from him would then fuel us in our waiting for the God to come. And what does that look like? That's to live like Jesus lives. God takes care of what it means to come. He takes care of the promise. The challenge to us in this Advent season is what does it look like to wait? And if you are tired and heavy burdened, know that he wishes to give you rest. If you are feeling jaded and slightly disconcerted by all that is going around you, know that he wants to give you peace. If you are feeling overwhelmed and depressed because of the incoming realities of the next month, know that he wants to give you joy. And if you feel as if there is no purpose or reason for you in this world, know that he has given you hope. Let hope be your foundation, not fear. And let our patience, let our waiting be found in that hope. Because it's then to be found in our good, good God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you came to be with us. Not a, a deity to stay in the distance, separate and aloof, but a man of sorrows to come and be with us, to experience the strife and struggle of humanity, 
and to make a way there where there was no way to be the fulfillment of a promise and the presentation of a greater one. And I pray for each individual in this room. We are an impatient people. I pray that we would find the ability to wait in this season, not based out of compulsion or fear, but out of a hopeful joy that only you can provide. I pray right now that you would convict us in the spaces where we might feel as if our hope has been lost. That we might feel like our waiting is based upon satisfying another. Bowing to a fearful thought. Or just simple apathy. I pray that, that we would be a church that waits upon you with the joyful hope that springs us into an action that molds us and shapes us and makes us to look more like your son. We want to be more like your son in every moment and let our foundation be the hope that you give to us this morning. For those of us here that don't know you, Jesus, I pray that you would begin to, to speak and minister into our hearts that we would feel the comfort that comes in the consolation of Israel, the Messiah, the fulfillment of a promise, the joyful incoming of a king. I just pray right now that there would be an overwhelming sense of your presence upon their hearts, that they might ask the question, why? Why do I live the way I live? Why do I wait the way I wait? Why do I do what I do? I want to know more. There needs to be more. I just pray that they would be met by your peace and your joy and your grace and your truth in the midst of those questions. May this season be one that is better than ever before, not because of our actions, but because of our simple waiting upon you. Let that be our foundation for this season to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.